Hi everyone, you're listening to the When in Spain podcast show. My name's Paul Burge and coming up in this episode, beer. Now there's a renaissance of more artisanal brewing. It's starting off in Barcelona, but now really ratcheting up in, in Madrid. Some really great breweries here, some really exciting stuff going on, and it's only going to grow. Yes, talking about beer again, but this time craft beer. I'm going to be talking about the craft beer scene in Spain. And to help explore the craft beer scene in Spain, I've enlisted the help of two friends and business partners, David Ross and Patrick Tuck. They both hail from the UK and they've recently set up their very own craft beer pub right in the centre of Madrid. So stay tuned. I'm going to head along to their bar and have a chat with them about the craft beer scene in Spain, how it's growing and how it's evolving. Uh, we make a few comparisons with the craft beer scene uh, here with the UK and the United States. I'll be asking them about how they came to set up their own craft beer pub and also they brew their very own house beer. In fact, they brew two different house beers and I'm going to be talking about the process of developing and actually brewing a craft beer for sale. So I'll be having a cheeky little taste of uh, some of the beer that they produce. And we'll also be talking about uh, tastes in Spain, how Spaniards are reacting to craft beer. And I'll also be asking them about what it's like to actually set up your own business before we get into the craft beer scene in Spain, I'd firstly like to say a big, big thank you and a big shout out to all of the new When in Spain patrons. So you guys who have signed up to very kindly make a regular uh, contribution via the Patreon website, uh, a regular contribution to help support the When in Spain podcast, uh, to help me cover my costs in producing the show. A huge, huge gracias, muchísimas gracias. I'll give you a quick name check now. Apologies for any slightly dodgy pronunciations. I'd like to say thank you to Carolyn Terriot, to Salah Rahikala, to O.A. Hansen, to Ilko Stoffbergen, uh, Rachel Boren, Lisa Halvardson, and Dawn Hopkins. I think I've already given a shout out to the rest of you already. If anyone else who is a regular listener to the show and you've been enjoying the podcasts that I create, I do this as a passion project in my free time. So if anyone enjoys listening to When in Spain, please consider uh, making a small monthly donation. As little as one dollar uh, you can pledge. And even if it is just a dollar a month, it all adds up and it all helps me uh, secure the future of the show. How do you do this? Really easy. You just need to head over to patreon.com com forward slash when in Spain. There are links on the when in Spain Facebook group. It's a very well established uh, crowdfunding website. If you haven't already heard of it, it's secure. It's safe to make payments on it. So if you like the show, don't be shy. Please consider making a, a small donation. I will be extremely grateful. And one more thing, just before we start talking beer, uh, a big warm welcome to the new When in Spain Facebook group members. Um, I've noticed in the last uh, week or so, there's been a real flurry of new people asking to join the When in Spain group. So to all of you guys who've recently joined the When in Spain Facebook group, hola and bienvenidos. And if this is the first podcast episode that you're listening to, I hope you enjoy it. And don't forget that there are 37 previous episodes of When in Spain, all about Spain and Spanish culture and various aspects of life here in Spain. 
Uh, if you haven't done already, go and check them out. Give them a listen. And also to make sure that you automatically receive new episodes as soon as I publish them, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast. Let's get into what you're here for to listen about the craft beer scene in Spain. So, yeah, I headed along to La Osita. La Osita means little bear. And the brewing company that the guys run that provide their in-house beer is called El Oso. El Oso Brewing Company. Why those names? Well, Osita means little bear and Oso means bear. Well, the symbol of Madrid, the kind of heraldic symbol of Madrid, is uh, a statue, a very famous statue. Many of you may, may already know it. It's a statue of a bear trying to climb up a small strawberry tree and eating the strawberries from it. So the statue is called Oso y el Madroño. Madroño is a strawberry tree and Oso is is the bear. So that's the connection. That's why uh, David and Patrick decided to name their pub La Osita and the brewing company El Oso. David, Patrick, thanks for taking the time to join the One in Spain podcast. Warm welcome. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us. Let's just set the scene. We're in your bar called La Osita on Cavabaja, right in the centre of Madrid, spitting distance from uh, Plaza Mayor. Craft beer, artisan beer, bar, pub. And tell us a bit about the story about how you came to open the bar. We met here, actually, not that recently. A few years ago when studying, uh, doing Erasmus uh, Exchange. Madrid is a brilliant city to do that in because it's a great size, it's it's fun, it's exciting, it's uh, diverse. Uh, we actually met in a pub 11 years ago and fell in love with the city then. Uh-huh. The years after that, always wanted to come back, always were looking for opportunities to come and do something here. Uh, and then about two years ago, we started talking about seriously moving back uh, with our own project, uh, which is Laucita and Oso Bruco, which is our new brewery. You have Laucita, which is the name of the bar, but you also brew your own beer. Patrick? Yeah, also Bruco is our uh, our brewing project. Worked in um, you know brewing previously myself. We've been uh, home brewing for several years um, on a small scale as well with our sort of own recipes. And um, we kind of uh, like David says, we sort of popped back a few times for some trips and um, had a couple of beers, beer events here, and we got to know the people here that are brewing here, that are running beer bars here, and, and the people that are drinking um, sort of craft beer. Here. It was a really nice atmosphere. It was a really nice market. It was a really nice clientele and, and you know people drink a lot of beer here you know people sort of look at the, the UK and think that's a, a real beer, beer culture but but here you know they, they drink a lot of beer in Madrid in particular I think it's one of the highest cities in Europe that it's true because I think Spain is in the top three wine producers yet I think beer consumption massively outweighs wine consumption in Spain particularly in Madrid um, which is surprising maybe it's something to do with the climate uh, yeah. Beer is refreshing, potentially more refreshing than wine, yeah. and it just, it's had a long history. I mean, Patrick's actually written an article about the history of beer in Spain, and you know it goes back beyond British beer to 5000 BC, kicked out by the Romans, brought their wine culture in. So you know, there's a long history here. Now there's a renaissance of uh, you know, more artisanal brewing that's been going on probably for the last 10 years, but really started motoring in the last four, three, four, five years. Starting off in Barcelona, but now really ratcheting up in, in Madrid. Some really great breweries here, some really exciting stuff going on, and it's only going to go. Well, that's what we think. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. the Spanish, you know, obviously like beer, as, as Patrick was saying, you know, 
it's something they drink every day and you know so much good response to um, the beers that we brew but also to all the other beers that we have on in the bar from whole range whole gamut of different types of people so it's not just young hipster types who some people might associate with uh, craft ale it's you know couples of in their 60s 70s you know all kinds of people uh, and that's the most encouraging aspect i think about beer in madrid artisan beer in madrid and the palate in spain i think is ripe for bitterness for more hoppiness for more punch being added into what is part of daily life for a lot of spanish people so it's very exciting Talking about the beers that you brew, there's two that you actually are your in-house beers. I'm drinking at the moment, which I've, I have to be honest, I've tried a few times before. Uh, <laughs> this one is called Citrus Cream Ale. And I think you said to me before, David, that it reminds me a little bit of a Clara, very commonly drunk in Spain, which is a beer mixed with lemonade, a bit like a shandy, I suppose. But, you know, it's obviously not a shandy, but it's light, refreshing, with citrus elements citrus notes um, yeah so i think that's uh, kind of one of the other reasons we uh, fitted in moving back here to set this up because the styles that we've always brewed have been sort of sessionable styles you know so they're not um super high on alcohol they're the kind of things that you you would drink by the pint which i guess is you know what we've grown up with um drinking in the uk and so yeah so the two styles that we've sort of started with here is uh, the citrus cream ale which uh, which you're drinking the cream ale is kind of it's, it's an american style really of a bit of a sort of a hybrid between the main influences in American brewing, which would be British ales and German lagers. And those are the kind of people who moved over there initially. It's what the uh, Americans would call a lawnmower beer. Because you sort of sit on your, on your sort of sit on your sit on your lawnmower, go around, have a couple of beers while you're doing it. Um, you know, kind of easy drinking stuff. And and the cream um, part of it really just comes from it's the fact that it's very smooth in the body and the texture of it. There's no no lactose or any cream in it. You know in there and then yeah we decided to put some orange and lemon peel in ours because it, like you said it's kind of aimed at the people who might want a clara or, or a shandy want that sort of refreshing easy drinking beer but it is a beer it's brewed like a beer the whole process is it kind of fits in with that craft beer or you know artisan um, philosophy of uh, sort of doing it the proper way you know you're not just bottling it and adding some lemonade in there in the bottle like a rat you know kind of thing so that's um the one you've got there and then the table beer again it, it's kind of uh, the style of the table beer really is it's like the van der table vino de mesa kind of idea that it's it's a beer that isn't uh, uh, overly complex you don't have to sort of think about it too much we just want to make a nice beer that you have by the pine i guess it's like a, a sort of light hoppy gold nail kind of would be the closest style is but yeah. it's really not constrained by style what we're trying to do is just every batch we brew we're just trying to get that drinkability uh, it wanted to be interesting but nothing that sort of packs too much of a punch in, in, in any way it's just sort of a, an alternative to someone who wants to just drink a, a lager or a blonde or, or whatever and again lower alcohol how do you kind of develop a beer how do you kind of come up with the idea behind it and what is the kind of creative process of um, i imagine trial and error uh, in the brewing process to get the product that you sell today in the yeah. bar I guess like with anything stage one is to always be trying new beers and trying different things and everything we order in with its bottles cans kegs we'll be having a taste we'll be we'll discuss it what do we th- what do we think about that what do we like about that what do we you know we go to the other bars around here we go to festivals we try things all the time so that's that's always the first stage so that's one side of it the other side of it is you maybe just think what i would like you know kind of there's maybe less process on that side you just kind of think what would we like you know what would we what would we want to be drinking right now 
you know, past experience, we kind of know, okay, here's a pretty good basic, you know, base recipe for something like an IPA or for an ale or for whatever. And then you kind of go, well, this is kind of the base, so then how would we, what do we want? You know, we, we use brewing software as well, so we're saying, okay, we maybe want a little bit more colour, so let's add in a bit on this style of malt, or we want a bit more body, so let's change the temperature we, we mash at, which is the kind of uh, first stage of the brewing where you add the grain and, and hot water. We'll increase the temperature of that so we've got less fermentable sugar, so more of that character stays in the beer, that kind of thing. So yeah. then it's a sort of, you know, like we used to, then it's a small batch. So, you know, we brew these at 70 litres, so it's not that small, it's quite a lot of drink. <laughs> it's quite a lot for you and your mates, but it's a relatively small batch, you know, not a commercial batch. And then, yeah, it's, uh, yeah and then there's always trial and error. I think, you know, you obviously hope that the more you do it, less trial and definitely less error before it's just a case of tweaking and perfecting and then building on what you've you know get it more right first time the the more you do it obviously but then sometimes we'll be going for you know we obviously have a quite a few different beers that we're looking to to release this year yeah i guess that's it we start from like a base style you know this is a good bitter this is a good ipa this is a good porter and then we kind of just see how do we want to put our touch on it tell me how does the global beer scene compare for example between spain the USA and the UK in terms of the craft beer scene specifically and or micro brewing in terms of the craft brewing you know the US led the way for sure um, you know a lot of people sort of trying to brew old English styles that they couldn't really find um, sort of Fuller's ESB was a real sort of early one that people wanted to um, yeah start brewing at home and then people uh, you know still not cheap but as it became more affordable to set up um you know sort of smaller kits and so on um yeah and then so you know the u.s we're talking uh i suppose close to 30 years ago now um so whilst craft a lot of people feels like quite a new thing it's it's really there um and a lot of those have gone on to become you know very big very successful um breweries and yeah in the uk we're probably you've got Brewdog, which i think was 2007 um and then yeah this sort of 2011 12 you know a lot more started to pop up um so yeah i mean you know the u.s is a huge market um in the uk it's 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 still growing um and there are you know i think 1500 or 2000 breweries now in the UK um, significantly fewer here um, but it's definitely changing what a lot of people do here is um, sort of nomad brewing as they call it so they'll go to other people's breweries and, and brew and that's uh, a good way of sort of sharing resources that allows more people to pop up and, and do what they want to do and, and sort of get it out there um, so yeah I think I don't know. I mean, here we still serve a lot of imported bits, so we know we less stuff from the US, which is a bit um, more of a headache to get over. But we sell a lot of UK, Scandinavian beers, um, French beers, and so on. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, of, of a comparison, I think with Spain, we're going to see what normally happens is it, it kind of follows a bit of the, the trajectory of the US market, but then each market has their kind of. Uh, you know, idiosyncrasies and sort of how it will develop. Yeah, with Spain, we're, we're kind of uh, we're seeing where that's going to go at the moment. I think uh, we, we really like the brew pub model, where you um, you brew and sell on site. Um, 
it's great for freshness it's great for uh, you know getting that product straight to straight to your customer and getting that feedback and creating that nice atmosphere is it, is it fair to say that madrid is a kind of hub for microbrewing in spain and and for the kind of craft beer scene more than barcelona well i don't know barcelona madrid i mean we, we would probably have to say barcelona is still the hub um and definitely started earlier there you've got uh, some considerably bigger breweries in bar- around the Barcelona area than you do here at the moment it, but the last year or two in Madrid it's really started to, to take off and uh, I, I really do think that you know with Madrid having that um, you know that really strong demand for local product I think uh, as those options spring up I think it, it definitely has the uh, opportunity to overtake it Barcelona probably a more international city you've got ready-made British American Australian everywhere you know customers who are already kind of more used to it but yeah, Madrid, I think it's, it's just waiting for those options to, to really get out to people. But yeah, the last two years, it's, it's, it's grown a lot. So it's definitely becoming a, a hub for, for Spain, but also for Europe. You know, it's, it's been in a couple of articles recently about, you know, the best beer cities in Europe. So yeah, it's, it's definitely getting there. I mean, it's a great city to go out and eat and drink. You know, I think. That's I mean, it's famous for that, really, yeah. isn't it? It's famous for La Marcha. It's famous for going out and eating and drinking. Yeah. Probably more than us. It's not a capital city of monuments like Paris or Rome. You know, it yeah. is a city for La Movida, the enjoying the enjoying food and drink, really, isn't it? Yeah. Beer can add something to that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of other innovation going on in, in Spanish. Um, cuisine and, and, and food and drink in general. There's a lot more small wine producers emerging. There's a lot more international food of developing in, in Madrid, which I think kind of touched on earlier. The yeah. tastes are changing a little bit. People yeah. are becoming a bit more adventurous with yeah. spicier food, perhaps, and uh, <laughs> slightly more exotic flavours. Yeah, sometimes I feel that sometimes uh, there's, there's it's a bit of reluctance. It takes I think it takes some time. Maybe you know I think in the UK maybe our food heritage, heritage before wasn't so strong and we were much more just open-minded to uh, international cuisine uh, very readily, very quickly. Whereas I think Spain's sort of very hold dear, very much their, their traditions of their food and, and their drink and things have to be in a very particular way. Yeah, and we do get a bit of that when people come in and say, you must put on this. You, in Spain, you in bar, you have to do this. Which obviously, you know, we, we give free tapa because we think that's a great idea. We use great Spanish products for that. We All our wine is Spanish because, you know, we fix on that. But at the same time, I think there's room for uh, adding something you, you know, yourself and adding a, you know, your own touches. Uh, and I think, I think it's something that's going to really start to motor um, over the next few years. Uh, some, some really exciting new uh, international uh, restaurants will come in and, and, and do something a little bit different. Um, which is exciting because uh, yeah, Madrid's brilliant at the moment but there's always room for, for new ideas Going back to what you were saying about tastes in Spain evolving, uh, people are being a bit more daring and trying more flavoursome beers than your typical kind of industrially brewed beers that you find in many Spanish bars what's the reception been like among your customers here particularly Spaniards who come in and think, you know, mm, I haven't tried this before. I mean, back home we have a, a long tradition of ales and uh, quite flavoursome beers and, and also a, a very well-developed craft beer scene now as well. But what's the reception been like uh, since you've opened? I mean, it's pretty universally positive. I suppose I would say that. But um, we tend to give people, I'd like to give people tries of the beers before they commit to <laughs> a, full, a full drink because I think, it's always, I think there's always a beer when we've got eight taps or in bars which have more taps, there's always a beer that someone is going to uh, like for whatever reason it might be. They might like the bitterness, they might like the sourness, they might like the, 
the hoppiness of it. I think that's maybe why we have a positive response because we give people a lot of opportunities to kind of play around with what they like. At the same time, as I said before, I think there's a lot of things in Spain which food and drink that lead people to potentially be quite prone to liking craft beers. You know, things like Asturian cider, quite an interesting taste, sometimes pretty acidic, which can lend itself to like maybe liking some sour beers. A lot of nuts and things like that, and dried fruits and things like that, and lend themselves to maybe more hoppiness beers, uh, hobby, hobby beers. So it's, it's something that I think has a lot of potential with not challenging people's palates as much as perhaps it would do in other places, because uh, they're used to those flavours. Bitterness is one. Yeah, I think it's... Um I think what Dave says is absolutely correct in that that's down to our job and our, you know, our staff and everyone that works behind the bar. His job is how you present it to people. Uh, we actually talked about this as sort of the analogy with natural wine, um, which the sort of principles of them I think are really great, but I find it very, you know, I need someone to guide me. So yeah. that's why our job here is, uh, you know, that's why we always have to try the beers and we have to know what we're doing with them because... Um, yeah, it's all about how you present that. If someone comes in and just says, you know, give me a canya, and you kind of go... Dame una canya, anda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you don't, you know, and you sort of patronise them or, talk, you know, or talk down to them or don't really kind of try and bring them in and welcome them into to what we're doing. And and, uh, and like Dave says, you know, offering them samples and, and, uh, and yeah, trying to find the ones they like. And sometimes people will go, oh, God, what is that? <laughs> uh, but then you go, well, okay, so you didn't like that one, but what about this? And then they, you know, they go, oh, actually, yeah, that's a, a sort of a red ale or something, and that's yeah. like their tostada they have here. Yeah. And they go, actually, yeah, that's great. And so, you know, very positive. People here are, they're interested in food and drink, Absolutely. you know, um, a huge part of the culture. So most people are very willing to go, um, to go for new things. They're also very proud of their mouth. And you know, it's 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 in a way that we we kind of didn't have in the UK, where we we didn't really have a um, on you know the lager keg beers and so on. There wasn't that many domestic brands or sort of local regional brands that people really got into. We had a lot of imported beer, whereas here you don't see you see far less imported beer on your average bar. So they they do still have that, and you've got to be very careful not to be saying, "Oh, we're coming here with something better." You know, we're definitely saying we're coming here with an alternative. You know, we're not only our own, but we also yeah. tend to have at least at least one, but probably two or three. I was going to say that you also have guest guest beers as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's important to us that we keep that connection with uh, locally brewed beers because uh, that helps to remedy the, the the challenge that might arise from people being you know, not offended, but you know, being very proud of Mao and, and not wanting to brew something that's important. Yeah. Mao, just in case anyone's wondering, is the, the, the local lager, which is pretty unique to uh, Madrid, really, or central Spain. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, like you said, you can always have a beer map of Spain and you, Mao is sort of... You won't find Mao in Barcelona. You won't find Mao in, in Malaga, for example. But each region does have its own, um, albeit quite industrially brewed um, beer, but very specific to each region. For those who are in the UK, it owns San Miguel so something you might be more familiar with well it's quite a different beer I mean Mo is actually a very the way they uh, carbonate and serve it is, is quite different so it's a smoother texture than a lot of uh, beers you get in the UK uh, but it is, it is very interesting um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next 10-15 years as not just craft beer but, but also more international groups um, look at the domestic 
um, lagers and you know, start buying up some more regional brands and mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be very, very interesting and what Mahu and uh, Australia Galicia and Australia Dam do in terms of expansion overseas they've started looking at uh, buying breweries in, in other countries and um, diversifying their kind of markets through that so it's, it's going to be very interesting yeah. yeah, I was going to say it's interesting I've noticed in the last few years that the big breweries like Mao for example and Estrella Galicia have started developing their own more uh, different different ranges now um, that didn't maybe didn't exist 10 years ago they're more like you said were the uh, tostadas the uh, more full 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 of flavoured uh, lagers yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure they're, um, and I think that's uh, that's something you're seeing across the world is in a sort of reaction to um, smaller breweries popping up and, and uh, have kind of forced that um, that increase in options for the consumer and uh, and um, you know and I don't mean this critically it's very hard for big organisations to react to that because they have you know the, the, the way you run an industrial brewery is uh, very different to the way you can run a, a brewery producing a thousand liters at a time. Um, you know, we, we They're not as agile, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. It takes them a long time to yeah. develop a new product. Exactly, and we and we, um, you know, we stock Augustina Lager, uh, Helles Lager from um, from Germany. Uh, it's kind of our favourite lager and has been for a long time. Um, but to for them to say, okay, we're going to get a new. Uh, product out of the market if they change the recipe you know they've got to renegotiate enormous hop contracts uh, you know they've got to change everything with their suppliers you know these I mean you know no one runs breweries like the Germans really so <laughs> these kind of um, operations to change them it's 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 you know they can't just go oh, well let's let's put an IPA out you know and so but Mao certainly are um yeah, are trying to do that, and they've also got to be thinking about, you know, shelf lives and how, you know, how they're going to distribute it, well, who's going to buy it and stuff. So it's very different. So it's kind of uh, it's interesting to see, like those says, how how that's going to play out because um, part of you know Mao as well have, have acquired uh, uh, you know significant stakes in uh, in a couple of breweries. Um, Australia Galicia are doing a lot with their actually beers that they import and distribute alongside theirs as well. So yeah, it's it's a really it's interesting, exciting exciting market for that um, because yeah it's really starting to to open up. David touched on this earlier but talking about the bigger picture in Spain and the the craft beer scene in Madrid for example in this neighborhood in the center in uh, kind of La Latina neighborhood there are a number of craft beer bars you all have a good relationship with each other and you sort of support each other there's a lot of solidarity between uh, between you guys um and in other parts of madrid as well um and across spain do you see this uh, people's tastes are changing when we think of the traditional spanish tasca bar with like one tap of mao or the the local lager yeah. and uh, one tap for, for shandy or whatever that that's really in the future, in 10 years' time, do you see that really changing when you could walk into possibly a Spanish bar and see a, a much bigger range with a, a much more diverse range of flavours as well? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think obviously we, um, the cliche, obviously people vote with their feet always. So we get, when we get Spaniards, locals, people that have, you know, have come here to do their um, aperitivo and vermouth and, you know, for their whole lives and they want to come back here, um, you know, regularly when we're only three months in. That is obviously a sign to us that uh, the, yeah, the the appetite is there for it. And then yeah, also in, in Madrid, I think uh, 
you know, we're seeing it in... It's not always easy in terms of bars being allowed to put more taps in. Um, I obviously don't want to accuse anyone of <laughs> anti-competitive behaviour. But So that isn't always possible but you're seeing it with the bottle and can lists that are that are growing and i think you know these things happen in two ways it's the it's the existing bars that decide to to change things but it's also new bars new restaurants when they open up they tend to be thinking we, we want to have a beer list you know we want to and start doing that and um and i think that you know that's that's how it started in the uk you know it became a thing that yeah people want to have more taps we want to have more you know more options and i think 100 percent see that um happening here in Madrid so just moving away from the specifics of beer for a moment when you guys first started out in Madrid you uh, were a lot of pop-up events uh, around the city beer festivals that kind of thing and then you made made the took the plunge to actually buy and set up your own bar in Madrid talk us through the process a little bit what was it like to actually finally say right we're going to actually do this I mean, we were looking long and hard for the right place so that, that's what made it more difficult I suppose because we have a very clear idea of what we what we want from a from a space and what we want from a location uh, and you know, there's only so few places that are available in general and there's only so few places that come up you know for rent so <laughs> sure. from that scarcity perspective it, it, it was a challenge um, I mean the thing is with Madrid I suppose you, you notice when you come here is there are so many bars everywhere and restaurants because of the architectural style and the, the layout of the city every street will have a bar probably five bars on this street you've got 50 bars so you know there's not a spare you know there's not a scarcity of uh, of spaces and there's not a scarcity of spaces for rent um there's a lot of diversity in terms of prices in terms of what you find inside whether it's uh, you know the state of repair or whether it's the opulence perhaps of what someone else has done there before and how much they're asking you to to pay to take it off their hands something we were definitely aware of is what what are things worth and what um what things are worth something if you see what i mean footfalls worth something uh, a good location in madrid is worth something a lot of furniture which perhaps doesn't fit into our style is, is not worth something it was an exciting process we saw what 50 to 100 uh, locations uh, because we're also looking at something we'll talk about potentially uh, for another site as well which is our brewery and bar uh, brew pub uh, which is a much larger uh, site 200, 300, 400 square metres depending on where it is uh, and that's even more challenging as a, <laughs> as a proposition to find because the architectural style of Madrid again doesn't lend itself to these large sites with the right characteristics so it's it's a it's a question of trial and error, and it, it takes a long time. But it's ultimately very interesting. I find it fascinating going Absolutely. around, look, poking around places, <laughs> seeing what you find. It's sad as well at times because you see, you know, some businesses that have failed and some people are retiring or whatever. It's kind of ends of eras, um, so it's exciting. David, Patrick, thank you. Salud, cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much. Yeah. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. So there you have it, David Ross and Patrick Tuck at their craft beer pub, La Osita. La Osita pub is on a street called Cavabaja and it's number 10, number 10 Cavabaja. And if you'd like to check out their website, it's osobruco.com. So that's osobruco.com, O-S-O-B-R-E-W-C-O.com. And I'll also put a link to that in the show notes. 
So thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget, When in Spain has a presence on Facebook. We have the When in Spain Facebook group, as I mentioned before. You can also find us on Instagram if you'd like to see photography, which relates to the various episodes I produce. We're on Twitter. And if you'd like to get in touch with me directly with any suggestions or feedback, you can email me on wheninspain1 at outlook.com. Wheninspain1 at outlook.com. And don't forget, if you think when in Spain is worth a dollar or two of your money each month, please, please consider making a small donation via Patreon. Until the next episode, then, I shall bid you adios. Adios.